we, we've, we've said things as a house that we really mean, and I want to just make sure that we understand it's not just language. When we say things like, uh, his presence is the one thing, we want the presence of Jesus. Um, I, I want to be careful and encourage our hearts that it's, it doesn't just become language to us and we're seeing it on social media and it becomes the new church lingo. Like we're presence people and we're intimacy people and, um, and we have a bunch of language but no substance in our hearts. And um, I've been wrestling with the Lord just saying, God, to be a people of your presence means to be a people fully captivated by the beauty of Jesus. It means to be a people that will forsake all else for the one thing. That we, w- we won't deviate and be distracted by other things. We, we will be fixated, focused, and given to the worthiness, the beauty, and the wonder of who he is. Because here's the thing. He's either, he either really is that beautiful that all of heaven cries out holy nonstop. He either is that beautiful or we're all psycho and should go to a mental institute. But we have 2,000 years and more of proof that we have the most resplendent God and King. He's the shining one. He's the radiant one. And so that's where I'm going to go today. Uh, I want to talk about the resplendent one. Resplendent, it means the shining one. It means the one who shines in diverse expressions of beauty that are unending. And there's something about Jesus, there's something about who he is, that if we would truly see him, if we truly behold him, if we truly know him, everything changes. So I want to set your expectation this morning for 2024. If you will fix your eyes on Jesus, and if you will set your heart to know him, everything's about to change. Everything. (laughs) Everything about who you are, everything about what you do, everything about why you live, every decision you make, every emotion you feel is about to change. If you will set your heart on one thing. So I'm going to ask this question, and then we're going to read a scripture and jump into this. I want to ask you this. Do you have a vision of God in your life? And the reason why I'm wording it like that is because we start the year off so often going, so what's your plan for the year? What's your goals? What's your vision for the year? All these different things. I want to say before you even waste your time on that junk, do you have a vision for God or vision of God in your life? Because let me say this to you, you can have the most incredible goals and even achieve them. And if you don't have a vision of God, it means nothing. It counts for nothing. (laughs) Welcome back, guys. (laughs) Do you have a vision of God in your life? Because seeing Jesus changes everything. I want us to go to Psalm 63. And I know, um, just for the sake of the recording and all the millions of emails I might get because of this... um, I, I re- normally read out of the Amplified. That's my normal Bible. I love it. But I am going to read this out of the Passion translation. And it's because it's so beautiful and it's going to bless your heart. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read it. Uh, if you don't have the Passion translation on your phone or whatever, you can just listen and receive or you can read it out of your translation. But just listen to these words. It's, it's so wrapped in the love of God for you, but it it is the heart cry of every believer who longs to know Jesus. That's what I believe. It's called thirsting for God. Listen to this. O God of my life, I'm lovesick for you in this weary wilderness. I thirst with the deepest longings to love you more, with cravings in my heart that can't be described. 
Such yearning grips my soul for you, my God. I am energized every time I enter your heavenly sanctuary to seek more of your power and to drink in more of your glory. For your tender mercies mean more to me than life itself. How I love you and praise you, my God. Daily I will worship you, passionately and with all my heart. My arms will wave to you like banners of praise, and I overflow with praise when I come before you, for the anointing of your presence satisfies me like nothing else. You are such a rich banquet of pleasure to my soul. I lie awake each night thinking of you and reflecting on how you help me like a father. I sing through the night under your splendor shadow, offering up to you my songs of delight and joy. With passion, I pursue and I cling to you because I feel your grip on my life. I keep my soul close to your heart. Holy Spirit, my prayer this morning is that you would impart and release a yearning and a longing in 24-7 for the presence of God. Right now, Jesus, I'm asking for the anointing of your presence. The only thing that can satisfy our soul, I'm asking right now for a rich, deep impartation, a hunger and a thirst for the glory of the Lord. We receive your word this morning, Jesus. Let your word transform us, touch us, shape us, mold us in Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So David writes this psalm. And I don't know if you can hear this, but this is not a man who's just, you know, trying to incorporate God into his life and, and, and hoping that God's going to make things work for him and that things are going to kind of click and come together. This is somebody who is crying out desperately. And what you're hearing in this psalm is he's going, I thirst for you because without you, I'm nothing. I long for you. I long for you more and more because you've become the very core and essence of my being. I thirst for you. I long for you because my soul will never be satisfied without the anointing of your presence. There's this heart cry from David. He's crying out, going, God, I've set my life on the one thing, and I will not move from the pursuit of your presence. And I want to encourage you this year and say, 2024, this is a year of encounters for the church. God is going to mark his house across the nations with encounters with the living God. Because I need you to understand this and to know this this morning. You cannot live or operate in the Christian life without daily encounters with Jesus. Without knowing him, without recognizing his voice, without experiencing him, you need him. And the danger for the church in this hour, specifically in the West, is to get so caught up in so many distractions that seem important. See, the enemy is never going to throw stuff at you that seems silly. The best distractions that the enemy can, can bring are the ones that seem so important that I actually consider giving up the one thing. And so it comes in different areas of our lives. And many voices will begin to speak. And I, I want to prepare you for this year and say there are so many voices and they're only getting louder. And we have to be a people that will yield to one voice. We have to be a people that are given to one thing. We won't deviate. We won't move. That's what makes us different, and that is where you're going to begin to see power in the church again. See, we're not looking for just a good message. Jesus didn't just preach a good message. I've, I've taught a whole sermon on this, but the world is looking for the man inside the message. The message carries the man. We've got to be careful that we don't become a people of the message, but we don't know the man. The reason why the disciples, when they were arrested and 
the, the Pharisees and the officials, they, they recognized them. And even though they were uneducated and didn't have much to offer, there's this beautiful thing. And actually he says, they recognized they'd been with Jesus. See, the message is the vehicle that carries the man, but it's being with the man that brings the power. The power of the gospel is in the man, Jesus. The message is the vehicle that brings the substance of who he is. So yes, we're called to be preachers of the gospel, but let's not be preachers without substance. Let's not be messengers without knowing who he is. Amen. So I want to just say this. Those who see and behold Jesus live differently. Those who see and behold Jesus live differently. And, and I want to challenge this today and say, when I say that, I guarantee you the first thing that we begin to think about for so many of us is live differently, meaning live better, live holy, live without sin, live righteously. That's the first thing you think about, right? But I want to challenge that and just say, I want to use some examples of a few people in the Bible who lived differently because they beheld him and they saw him. And, and I just want to look at their life for a second and say, can you see what differently really means? See, look at Moses, look at David, look at Paul. These are three men that I've been studying a lot recently. And this is what blows my mind. All three of them had encounters with Jesus that changed their life. All three of them saw something of, of heaven that they wanted to replicate on the earth. All of them walked in a demonstration of power. They saw God move in their life. And all of them were absolute wrecks. Like, none of them had it all together. None of them, it's not like they had that encounter and suddenly their life was just squeaky clean and perfect. No, they messed up multiple times. So what is differently? What makes them different? They saw him, they encountered him, they beheld him, and they lived a different life that left a legacy that we're still talking about, still preaching thousands of years later. But they didn't get it all right. They didn't tick all the boxes. It wasn't about ticking the boxes, but there was something that they had seen, something that they had encountered that changed everything about who they are. What is it? See, I believe this. When, when we see Jesus, when we behold Jesus, we live differently in these ways. Number one, our reason for living changes. I want to ask you this question. As a Christian, as somebody who's given your life to Jesus, what are you living for? What are you living for? And you, it's a good question to ask yourself, to say, okay, what drives me? What, when I wake up and, I'm, and I say yes to the day, what am I saying yes to? Because this is how you can begin to evaluate the priorities of your heart and of your life, and it'll help you know, like, how much do I really know Jesus? Because I'm in pursuit of Him. I want to know Him more. Amen? So what, what's your reason for living? That was what changed in Moses and in David and in Paul and many others in the Bible. Their measure and their value of success changed. Think about this for a second. Moses, David, Paul, Abraham, Elijah. You can go through a whole list of these different people. Peter, John. The trajectory of their lives changed. Their reason for living changed. And their measure of value and success changed. They were living differently. They were measuring things based on the desires of the heart of God and not their own. Success looked like Jesus getting his reward, not me getting self-satisfaction or gratification. Can you see the difference? Are you with me? You were hoping I was going to talk on the seven steps to a healthy business, right? 
Another thing that we see changes in their heart is their heart posture and their response. Their heart posture and their response. I'm going to come back to that. If I can summarize it to this and just say they live differently because they all lived for the one thing. See, to live for the one thing doesn't mean everyone in this room has to become a pastor or everyone in this room has to, you know, do what I do. That's not it. The one thing is the heart of God. Wherever he's placed you right now, whatever sphere of influence, whatever part of society that God has placed you in, you are called to live for the one thing. It's the presence of Jesus. It's knowing him. Let me give you examples. Moses, he cries out to the Lord. The Lord says to him, okay, you can take them into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. And this is Moses' cry. He says, I'm not moving without you. Unless you go with us, we're not going. And then he says this. He says, how will they know that we're yours? What makes us any different to the others if you're not in us and upon us and with us? So Moses refuses. I'm not even going to step into blessing. I'm not even going to step into abundance. I'm not even going to step into prosperity without the tangible presence of God, the experience of God, the knowledge of God in my life. And, he, and then he takes it further and he goes, we are not a people without your presence. Dare I say this, we are not the church without the presence of God. You can have a cross on the building or on the top of your roof. You can call yourself the church and host weekly gatherings. If the presence of Jesus isn't there, it's not his church. Right? So we're after his presence. We're after him. We cannot deviate from that one thing. So Moses says, I'm not going to move without your presence. And then he cries out. He says, show me your glory. Now, what did that have to do with the decision whether to go or not? God's having a conversation with Moses about going to the promised land. And Moses' heart cries, show me your glory. Everything else was secondary to that one thing. David, Psalm 27, he says, One thing I desire and one thing I seek, to gaze and to dwell upon what? The beauty of the Lord. And you go, wow, that's really poetic and beautiful, David. You, you seem like a really emotional guy. Now, David was a warrior. David was a war hero. David was a king. David was governing a nation. David had demands on him. David had pressures on him from his people, from people who questioned him and doubted him and accused him and, and all these things that happened. And yes, David made tons of mistakes and yet here he is saying, I'm not going to deviate. I'm not going to move from the one thing. I have one desire and it's one thing that I'm going to seek, that I might gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and dwell in his house forever. So either we need to come to this and say, God, I need this in my life. This needs to anchor me. Like this needs to set the trajectory of my life. This is where I make my decisions from. Either that or we're just playing a game and, and we're calling it Christianity and we're missing the substance of God. How many of you in this room want to live this Jesus incorporated experience where you attend church on a Sunday and, and it's, it's, you know, it's great and it's a good vibe and it's just a good community and it's a really good part of my life that I really love. But I've never actually encountered God, never actually experienced God. I don't actually even know him. Who wants that? Exactly, because it's not what you were born for. It's not what you were made for. What you were born and made for is this. When you wake up in the morning, he's there. While you were sleeping, your spirit man was communing with God. He speaks to you in dreams and visions and encounters. You are aware of the voice of God. You're aware of the tangible presence of God. He's speaking to you. He's leading you. Even in the darkest seasons, even in the worst moments, he's a father and his steady hand is upon your life and you know he's yours and you're his. 
and you're not striving to get it right. You're not trying to tick the boxes. You're just following Jesus. You're saying, God, you're inside of me. Mercy, woke me up today. Why? So that I could know you, so that I could be intimate with you. And from that place, people are going to get touched. Nations are going to get blessed with the gospel. Suddenly, when I live in the substance and the reality of who God is, his dream comes alive in my heart and my dream dies. If, if we think that our earthly dreams are going to satisfy us, we are completely deceived. Because I don't know a single human being that's achieved their earthly dream and is happy. There's always another thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and there's more and there's more and there's more. It will never satisfy you. It's an endless pit. But this is why. You are made to be a dreamer. Hear me. You're meant to be a dreamer. You're made to be a dreamer for the dreams of heaven. God has given creative solutions, creative strategies to every believer to reach the nations, to reach our city, to reach those around us with the kingdom of heaven. It's his dream. And because it's his dream, my identity is not attached to the expressions of it. I'm just ready to dream, release, and live all that he is. Amen? Amen. Paul, he says this. He says, I count everything as loss. Say everything. everything. Think about your life. Everything. I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Here's a guy who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had status. He had title. He was impressive. He had wealth. He looked successful according to the religious systems of the day and according to the world around him at his time. And he says, I count it all as loss. I actually gave it up. In fact, he gets even more expressive and he lists all the things that he thinks were impressive about himself. And he says, I count it all as dung. And for him to say dung at that time is like us saying something else in this time, which I won't say now. He was that offensive. He was like, I actually, it's not just that it's like dung, it's... See, again, because Paul's like... <laughs> there was nothing traditional about these men and women. They weren't these saints with cloaks and like, they were real people. They were raw and real. Like Peter and John, and they're fishermen. They're wild men. I guarantee you in the three and a half years they were following Jesus, there were some swear words that popped up and some stuff, some raw things that Jesus had to deal with. And he was probably going like, man, it's a rowdy wild bunch. But the king that I serve, the God that I serve, is not a God who's intimidated by mess. He's not a God who's intimidated or runs away from brokenness. He's drawn to it. I want to encourage you this morning and say, if you started this year out and you feel like you're in mess, you're in brokenness, I'm telling you, God is drawn to it because He's in love with you. He's not looking at your mistakes, your sin, or your failures. He's looking at Jesus in you. He adores you. He loves you. Okay, this is a real important question. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. There's two, it's two questions, and they're questions for your heart. I want to ask you this. Is your faith in the God that you hope He is? Or is your faith in the God that you've discovered and know Him to be? Is your faith in the God that you hope He is? Or is your faith in the God that you've discovered and now know him to be. Because let me say this to you. If you're trying to stir up your faith in what you hope he is, you don't know, but you've heard. And you hope that he's like that. It's really difficult to live a steadfast life in him because you're going 
That, that is an emotional roller coaster because you really hope he's that good, but you don't actually know if he is. And so your faith can't be firm, it can't be steadfast because you're actually just desperately hoping that he's good, desperately hoping that he loves you, desperately hoping that what you heard on Sunday is true. And the only way you move out of this place, because it always starts here, it always starts with hoping, knowing, okay, I have hope that he is who he says he is. But if we stay there as Christians, we'll never step into the experience. The way we step into the experience is by beginning to discover him. How do we discover him? Pursue him. How do we pursue him? Spend time with him. How do we spend time with him? Number one, actually believe he's there. <laughs> like people go, how do, I, how do I hear from God? I'm like, well, let's just rewind a little bit. Do you actually believe he's there? When you shut the door and it's just you and him. Like you, if you were to view my times with the Lord alone, you would probably think I'm crazy because I talk to him. So people will say like, so talk, like explain to me how you talk to God. I'm like, I, I don't know how to explain it to you because how do you talk to each other? Like, I talk to him. I, I pour my heart out. I listen to him. What does it sound like? Um, it sounds like me, inside of me, talking to me. <laughs> Why does it sound like that? Oh, because the Holy Spirit and my spirit became one. So now what we've got is so many Christians going, no, it can't be God because that sounds like me. He likes you. He made you his home. He sits in the theater of your soul and he likes what he sees. And you go, no ways, you can't like what you see because there's so much junk in there. No, the thing is, you see the junk, he sees the blood. He's sitting in the perfect theater of your soul going, this is my home, I own it. Your brain might still be catching up to that, but your spirit is one with his spirit. You're alive with him. So when he speaks to you from the inside, sometimes you go like, wow, it sounds like I'm really smart inside here. Like, I'm actually getting answers, and God's actually, like, bringing clarity, and things are happening. Like, it's the Lord. And he's so secure in himself as God, he's so secure in himself as a father, that he likes his sons to actually feel the evidence of, of himself in them. That when you step out, you go, well, I think I heard God say something. You step out, God does something, and you go, like, it worked. And God goes, I take pleasure in that. I take pleasure in father and son, father and daughter, partnering together in obedience to the word of the Lord to do what he's called us to do. See, here's the thing. You're not made to sit in church and just listen to messages. You know what this is? This is invitations. This is where we get equipped. This is where we get mobilized. But you're going to leave this room and you're called to burn. And you go like, what does that mean? It means you're so passionately, wildly, and deeply in love with Jesus that nothing else matters. And you go, but you don't understand. Like, I'm in mistakes, and I'm struggling, and I'm doing... God is not looking at that stuff. In fact, He's still using you in the midst of it. <laughs> he's so in love with you. He's so passionate about you. So is your faith in what you hope He is, or is your faith in the God that you've discovered and are knowing him to be. See, the life that knows Jesus, it looks like dependency and trust. That's what it looks like. It doesn't look like trying to live a perfect life. You can't. And I've, I've preached this like till I'm blue in the face and I probably will till I don't have any breath in my body. The reality is, the Bible's so clear on this. Murderer and the person who didn't have faith for a second same. 
sin is sin. We have different consequences relationally on the earth and things that we deal with, but before the Father, the person who didn't have faith for a split second on the earth, because that which is not a faith is sin, that person and the mass murderer, hell. But Jesus. But Jesus. So if we can accept that and say, God, that mercy, that grace, that gospel, that good news, it is so wild, it's so outrageous, it offends me every day, it blows my mind. That one leads me into this place of a life that looks like dependency and trust. Why? It's the only way to live. Dare I say this this morning, you are not living until you're dependent. And you say, but the independent thing is, I like it because I get to make a lot of money and I get to buy things for myself and do whatever the heck I want. It's great. You have moments of, of uh, pleasure and, and happiness. Give me a call in three weeks when you're looking for the next thing. And when you finally got that dream house and you now moved in and then suddenly you see that better one or that awesome villa in Spain that suddenly popped up on your... Oh, I finally got my dream car until suddenly it's old. And then the next range comes out and it's like, well, that, my dream car changed. Or I finally got that promotion. Thank God I've been working my whole life for that promotion. I finally got it. I'm officially the CEO. And then you realize what it means to be a CEO and you're like, this is not my dream. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why am I saying this? Revelation 1, John goes into an encounter. It's the revelation, it's the unveiling of Jesus. And he goes into this encounter and he, he sees a man in the midst of the lampstands. And the lampstands represent the church. And there's this man, the son of man. It's Jesus. And he's moving around the lampstands. He's walking in the midst of the lampstands. And suddenly he begins to describe what he sees. And I'm moved by this because when he sees Jesus and then Jesus speaks to him, he hears the sound, he falls on his face as though dead. See, now, I've heard it preached from this angle, like the glory of God is so terrifying that you just can't even look at him. And I go, there's an element to that that's true. But I want to come from the other side and say the beauty of Jesus, the splendor of Jesus, the radiance of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, it is pure perfect, undefiled, undiluted goodness and love. And our human frailty has no idea what to do with that. And I think it was such a prophetic picture because John falls on his face as though dead. And then Jesus touches him with his right hand and says, don't be afraid, stand up. I think it's a picture of the grace of God. He's so good that he conquers us. You can't move. You're done. You're finished. You're conquered. He conquers humanity with the goodness and love of God. But then he touches you with his right hand and he says, stand up. Now when you stand up, you're not standing up in your own strength. You're standing up in the right hand of Jesus. And then he says, I want to show you what's going to happen. This is a picture for the Christian life. I encounter God. I die. He touches me with his right hand, his strength, his grace, his sufficiency. And when I stand, I'm standing under the right hand of the Son of the living God. And now He says to me, pay attention, I'm going to use you. Revelation 4, 
I love this book, man. It messes with my head a lot. Because it's like, suddenly I saw a door standing open in heaven. <laughs> okay. Um, trying to visualize that. Was it like a cloud? And then like, I don't know. I don't know. But he saw it. And he's trying to describe it to us. And I'm enjoying this book more and more because I'm going, John is doing his best to describe something to us that's indescribable. You get it? So obviously it's not a book to be read literally. Okay. That's for another time. He goes, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And then he begins to describe what he sees. He says, I heard a voice say, come up here. He goes into this encounter and he begins to describe the throne room. He's seeing Jesus and he's seeing the ancient of days. He's seeing the living creatures. He's seeing the emerald rainbow. He's, he's, he's like seeing this crazy wild picture. And then he hears a song that's been sung throughout all the ages. It is the song of eternity. And it goes like this. Holy, 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 holy. And so now I look at that and I go, if that, the way I picture it is being sung, for all of the ages, that song is going to drive me nuts. Like, imagine just hitting that one song on repeat for all of eternity. So then you have to lean into the scripture and say, I'm not seeing something. I have to see what they're seeing to understand why that is the response of heaven. Why is it that God can attract and demand the attention of all existence and the heart response of everything that's ever existed is one thing, holy. I think the church has settled for the bare minimum experience of the beauty, splendor, and glory of God. And he's saying, if you would come up here, if you would allow me to lead you into a, an experience of who I really am, you'll begin to see just how beautiful, just how glorious, just how majestic I really am. And suddenly, the longing of your heart, the cry of your heart, the empty space that you've been looking to fill all your days is satisfied in one thing, holy. Do you know what holy means? Set apart. So think about this. The cry holy, it's like saying this, it's like saying there's only one. Now every inadequacy in your life where you didn't seem to make it and you felt like you didn't make it, you go, oh, but there's only one. Are you seeing it? All creation is going, where, we, where there was lack, there's only one. Where there was sickness, there's only one. Where there was pain and trauma and suffering, there's only one. When I couldn't do it, when I couldn't fix myself, there's only one. And the reason why that's good news is because the one, the only one, he had this divine exchange with you on the cross. And he said, I'm the one who fulfills all things. All things are in me, for me, and through me. And I'm going to put myself in you. Never again will you have to try and be righteous. I am your righteousness. Never again will you have to try to be holy. I am your holiness. We need a holiness movement birthed in the grace of God, not birthed in legalism. 
We're desperate for it right now on the earth. You are not going to be holy because you work harder at it. You're holy because you believe there's only one and he's inside of you. God's throne room, Revelation 4. Right now, I want to tell you where that sits. It sits in your heart. He, he has enthroned himself on your heart. So if you go like, well, I don't know if that's real for me. I don't know if I have that experience. I want to say to you, be born again. Because giving your life to Jesus is not just, thank you, God, you sound really great, and you sound like you're going to make my life a whole lot better, and I'm in. Sign me up. That sounds great. What's the subscription fee? Oh, I have to go to church every Sunday? I can pay that price. And we treat it like a Netflix account. <laughs> the reality is, no, we're not, we didn't subscribe to God's subscription service of self-help. We didn't do that. We didn't subscribe to God saying, well, thanks, God. Like, okay, I'll kind of meet these T's and C's and sign the agreement, and, and then it means that you give me these benefits, and we have this cool transaction thing every month or every day. No, Jesus invited you, and he said this. He said, everything that made you who you are, come and be crucified with me. Because everything that shaped you up until the point of Jesus in your life was shaped by lies, pain, experiences. I have so many theories on this, but I, I can, I mean, when, I get, when we all get to heaven, you'll find out I'm right. <laughs> the only reason I can say that is I look at my life. I've been an introvert, an extrovert, a psychovert. Uh, I've been everything. Because I've been through so many things. Pain and hurt and trauma and these things does something to you. And your life outside of Christ will be shaped by those things. Because you are following somebody. You are worshiping something. You've given yourself to something. Whether you like it or not, you're made and wired to do that. But when Jesus... When he died on the cross and he said, everything that makes you who you are apart from me, come and crucified with me once and for all. Everything. But he's, he's this wild. He goes, not just everything up until that point, even the now of your brokenness, the now of your brokenness, and even every broken thing you'll ever do, I'm going to take it upon myself. And I'm not just going to take on your actions. I'm going to become you. Jesus became you and crucified everything that we were outside of Christ. Thank God. Because here's the best part. He became you so that you could become in Him. So He didn't just become your addiction. He became the addict. He didn't just become your sin. He became the sinner. See, I could talk about the cross all day because here's what I, I don't know if, you, if you're picturing this. In Colossians, it says this. It says he made a public spectacle. He triumphed and made a public spectacle, not just to the devil, but to every stronghold, principality, and demonic force. I call it Armageddon. Jesus dies for us, goes to the grave, goes into the grave, death and hell, conquers death and hell, takes the keys of death and hell, and then what? Well, after that was a huge procession and I just want to tell you something that's going to blow your mind, and I'll teach this properly. You were there. You just 
You're living bound by time right now. It's like you have amnesia. But be born again. And suddenly something happens to your heart and you go, I was there. Because if I wasn't there, I'm not saved. I was there. And one day, see, remember this, what Jesus did when he gave up his spirit on the cross, he had to leave time. He left time and he took past, present, and future sin all in one go upon himself, done. That's why the Bible says before the foundations of the world, he was crucified. That event happened outside of time, which means you were there. You just don't think about it or remember that because your earthly brain, it's carnal. It lives confined by time. Now I'm like doing a science class. This is crazy. <laughs> it's not even science. I don't even know. I don't, I don't even take science. So, but hear me. Can you, can you understand how wild this is? If you were raised with Jesus, then you were with him when he came out of the grave, when he put on the public spectacle, conquered the devil, every demon in hell, every principality stronghold. He put, he put it on a public display and he triumphed over them. And he said, I've won. And then he does this beautiful thing. He goes, now I'm going to come back into time and I'm going to release my spirit onto the earth, into the people of God. And what I'm going to do is prepare a people for eternity with me. I'm going to prepare a people and teach them how to be a bride. I'm going to teach them how dependency and trust in me makes them like me. They're like me because they receive me, not because they're trying to be like me. That's why when you pray for the sick and they get healed, it's stupid to think you actually had something to do with that. Because I don't know about you, but before Jesus, it's not like you're walking around touching people and they were getting healed. I remember the first time I saw a creative miracle. I nearly passed out. Like, I didn't do any of the typical things of helping somebody, like, you know, come to Jesus because they just had a miracle. I was, like, sitting on the curb going, like, oh, my gosh, what just happened? I'll never forget praying for a man with no muscles and, and yeah, no muscles in his legs. He just had bone and skin. And he had a, a muscle disease. And so basically from, like, the waist down, he, he had nothing. No muscles, couldn't stand, couldn't walk. And I prayed for him over and over again. Nothing was happening. And I've told the story before, but eventually the Lord said, pick him up. This is on the dusty streets of Mozambique. And the Lord tells me, pick him up. And there's like 50 people standing around me. And I'm like, if I pick him up and you don't heal him, I have to put him back down. <laughs> Can you see? It's dependency. I was not confident. I don't know. <laughs> and so the Lord says, pick him up. So I said to the interpreter, we're going to pick him up. And the interpreter goes, no. <laughs> because this was like the 11th prayer. I'm being dead serious. And then I said, hey, I'm picking him up. We're picking him up. And he goes, okay, we're picking him up. And we picked this guy up instantaneously. The moment this man stood up, he had muscles in his legs. We had a, a friend who took a video of it. It was so beautiful because it started out, he flipped. He, and, and I flipped. I was like, it worked. <laughs> And, and that wasn't my first creative miracle. I'd seen God do it before. But the point is, I'm still shocked that God would actually do that through me. And I'm, I'm so aware of the fact that I, that's not me. Like, I prayed 11 times, nothing happened. And then God said something and something happened. It's obviously Him. Right? But I remember watching this man and we walked together. And in the space of 30 minutes, we were ru running up and down this dusty street. And there's a photo. I need to get it again for my friend. We're standing on the edge of the street. Our foreheads 
like against each other and we're crying together and he's giving his life to Jesus. But the beauty was that I was crying and he was crying because we both were saying, did you see that? (laughs) Now this is normal for us. This is the norm for every Christian. Why? Because we're dependent on him. The same dependency that I need to trust Jesus to heal somebody who's crippled is the same dependency I need every day to have relationship with him. Every day to trust God that he's going to take care of me. It's the same faith, but I'm discovering him, I'm experiencing him, and I'm seeing the evidence and the reality of God in my life. This is what God's called you to. Are you with me? See, the beauty of Jesus unlocks our hearts to receive his heart. What I'm hoping this morning is that you'd start this year out and go, I have to see him. I must see him. Like, I've just been reminded of just my journey, and and one day maybe, if the Lord gives grace, I'd love to really tell that story because I am a walking testimony and an example of one thing, that mercy and grace works that the mercy and grace of God holds us. That it really, 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 really isn't about you. It's about Him. You are not disqualified. You are not sidelined. The only reason why we would disqualify ourselves is when we refuse to see ourselves the way He sees us. But I remember in those early years of just growing in my relationship with Jesus, I was like, I was so desperate for him, I'd do anything. I mean, we, we got a group of us who got in a car and drove to Nelspreet to get to a David Hogan conference only to find out like two days later he was in Pretoria. <laughs> but it was like this desperate hunger and I'm not saying go and go to conferences and to that. I'm just saying at that stage we didn't know how to, all we knew was like we just need to get around people who know God. When you look in their eyes and you see that they know him, we need to get around those people. I used to do fasts. I did a 21-day fast. I nearly died. It was insane. 21-day fast just on fluids. And like, it was wild, absolutely wild, because you, 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 you find yourself in this place of absolute dependency where everything of yourself dies. And you're just holding on to him. And suddenly his voice begins to echo inside of you. It's like, It resounds inside of your heart at the same time as you can smell the salty cracks in the cupboard. (laughs) If If you don't think food has a voice, just do three days of no food fasting. You will hear the chips from the cupboard. My point is this. My prayer this morning was like, God, I know we're going to do vision, we're going to do all those things, and it's beautiful, but I, I felt this morning that it's like we need to, as a house, put our flag in the ground and say we are not going to move from the one thing. And when we gather together as a family, we're going to give ourselves to the presence of Jesus. But I'm asking you to do it for your life, for your heart. I'm encouraging you and saying, when you're reading the scriptures, you're not just trying to get information about God. You are being invited into encounters with him. And I want to just make this very practical for some people because I know some people will think like this. It's like, well, how do I do that? How do I get along with God and encounter God? It starts with faith, not feeling. 
I'm not looking for the feeling. Feeling follows faith. Because I, I am called to feel God, just letting you know. I'm not chasing feelings, but I expect them. <laughs> I'm made with feelings. I'm, 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 I'm designed to experience God. But I come into relationship with Him with faith. So it might look like, God, thank you that you're here this morning with me. I'm so grateful we get to have this time together. Thank you that you're here listening to me, speaking to my heart. God, I want to ask you to help me to settle my mind and my thoughts and to open my heart this morning so that I can really hear what you want to say to me. I know that you speak to me. I know that I'm designed to hear your voice, and I love you, Jesus. And Father, I thank you that the way you see me right now is as a son, that I'm covered in the blood of Jesus, that mercy woke me up this morning, that grace, goodness, and mercy follow me all the days of my life. Father, thank you that when you look at me, you see your son. Thank you that you speak to me like you speak to Jesus. Thank you that right now my heart is being stirred, that my faith is building and growing. Why? Because I'm standing in the presence of the living God, that you're right here and you love me. Holy Spirit, that you clothe me and saturate me and cover me. God, that I can actually be here and behold you and see you. And though I can't see you with my physical eyes, God, I know that my heart is made to know you. So I'm asking you, Jesus, to reveal yourself to me right now. And I'm asking Jesus that you would bring me to a place of forsaking all that I am so that I can take a hold of you. God, I know that you've given me your nature. I know that you've washed me in living waters. I know that the blood of Jesus has covered my past, has covered my failures, has covered my sins, has covered my future, that you have positioned me in you and nothing can change the way that you feel about me. So God, your son is here in this moment, opening your word, here to receive your voice so that you can lead me and guide me. God, I'm asking that you would cleanse my mind, remove every thought that's not of you so that I can yield to your voice. Lead me, Holy Spirit. You're my best friend. You're a good father. You're my faithful king. I love you. You're the lover of my soul. You're the only one who can satisfy me. Here I am, Jesus. Here I am, Lord. Speak to me. Minister to me. God, I've come to minister to you. I've come to say that I love you. Thank you that you made a way where there seemed to be no way. I welcome you. I welcome your presence. And I receive you. And suddenly you find yourself in the presence of God. You begin to feel the pleasure of the Father over your life. Not because of what you've done. Because of what he's done. And then he begins to say, my son, I love you. I hold you. I cover you. I protect you. I lead you. Thank you. Thank you for being here with me. And then when the silence comes, your mind is fixed on Him. Your heart is fixed on Him. And silence is no longer absence. It's just communion. It's just fellowship. It's just being together. And when you begin to feel your mind try to drift or try to wonder, you begin to just pour in, you go, Jesus, you're worthy. You're wonderful. Thank you. There's no one like you. Lead me, Holy Spirit. Wash me, take my thoughts, 
Occupy me, possess me, God. Fill me, God. Have my life, God. Suddenly your mind is fixed. You begin to look at him again and you begin to see the beauty and the worthiness of Jesus. And the cross anchors your intimacy with him. And then the Father begins to speak. You begin to feel the anointing of his presence. And now you've come into the spirit. You've come into the heavenly realm where God sends ministering angels that are ministering to you, cutting things off, setting you free from lies and insecurities. God begins to shift your heart and he says, you're not called to partner with the voice of the accuser. Listen to the voice of the Father. And in these times and in these moments, you begin to feel your identity as a son and as a daughter It's set. It's immovable. It's rooted in Him. Suddenly, you're in the secret place. It's just you and Him. And now your life is worshiping Him. that simple it's faith it's faith to walk through the door that he opened for us and when we walk in suddenly you begin to experience and feel the tangible presence of God amen We sang this song today, all it takes is one encounter with you for my heart to know just how much I long for you. It just takes one touch, one moment with him. Suddenly I hunger and I thirst. You were born for him. You were made for a relationship with him. Don't settle for anything less than intimacy. And I want to pray for us this morning for an impartation of faith. Faith to believe the word of the Lord about you. Because when you believe what God says about you, you'll begin to believe it about others. And suddenly you become an expression of grace and mercy and love to so many others. The only reason that we don't experience God is because we don't believe about ourselves what He does. The only obstacle to experiencing God is your own beliefs about yourself. I'm serious. Because God never changes. His thoughts towards you and about you do not change. Can you see how, and that's such a vulnerable thing for me because that's my secret place with him. But can you see how you don't need a whole band and, you know, tracks and songs and you don't need somebody else's encounter to lead you into one? Are you hearing what I'm saying? You are welcomed into the presence of the Lord. You are invited. 
He's calling you. He's drawing you. He says your name. And if you live with that faith and that confidence every day, life becomes this adventure with Jesus because I'm growing in the knowledge of who He is. Amen. Can I ask us to stand this morning? I want to pray for us. Some of us don't realize just how wild life is going to look when it's lived for Jesus. Some of you are like, man, I, I want, I, there's so many things in my heart that I want to do in life. And I'm saying to you, I'm going, you have no idea. The dream of God alive in your heart, what that looks like. But greater than even those things is the experience of the living God in and through you every single day. That's what he's drawing us into. And so I want to, this morning when I was praying for you, I, I felt the Lord say that, that he was going to release an impartation of faith, the gift of faith into our hearts that we would be propelled this year, propelled and catapulted, launched into what he's called us to as a house and what he's called us to, every single one of us. So I, can we lift our hands together and just for a moment, we're going to welcome him to do that, to minister to us. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence that's here. I thank you for the love of God. Jesus, firstly, if there's anything I've said this morning that's not in your heart, I ask that it would be forgotten. But Jesus, that which is spirit and truth, that which is your word, God, I thank you that it would cut right to the innermost being and bring fruit. Holy Spirit, I pray for 24-7 church and every person in this room and even those who are not here today. And I thank you for the gift of faith. Faith to believe in the finished work of the cross. Faith to believe in the word of the Lord over our lives. God, I thank you for an invitation to deeper intimacy than we've ever known. Deeper love than we've ever known. And I break off every insecurity, every lie of the enemy, and I silence the voice of the accuser right now. And in our hearts, we make a decision to partner with the voice of the Father. And Holy Spirit, I thank you right now that as we yield to you and as we give our hearts, our souls, our lives to you, that you are so faithful to fill your house. You're so faithful to fill every person. And so on the first gathering of the year as a family, I release encounters over this house, dreams and visions, encounters with the living God that Jesus would walk into your room, you would feel him tangibly, that you would hear the voice of God within you like a roar, and even within you like a whisper. 
God, I thank you that there's creative solutions, creative strategy that's going to come from the secret place that will be the answer to so many things, but we don't have to chase that. We can be fixed on the one thing and receive the person of Jesus through the Holy Spirit who changes everything. God, would you make us the people who see you and behold you? Make us a people of your presence. So I release that, the gift of faith right now in Jesus' name. And I just pray right now, if there's anyone in this room, I feel the presence of the Lord, so I'm just going after this. If there's anyone in this room who needs physical healing, in fact, let's just go healing of any kind. Right now, Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you would touch every physical body, every mind and every heart and bring absolute restoration, wholeness and healing. In Jesus' name, every muscle, every ligament, every joint, in the bloodstream. Father, I release perfect health in Jesus' name. And right now, I speak to every mind that has been under torment, demonic torment and attack. And I release the deliverance of the Holy Spirit over this room which is very simple. It's just Him. He's the King of glory and I release the government of peace over every mind and every heart. And those that have been struggling with torment in the night hours, I thank you, Holy Spirit, right now for freedom and liberty. Those who are not sleeping, insomnia and all these different things, God, I thank you right now for absolute healing, health and wholeness. And I release the kingdom of heaven over every single one of us. And then lastly, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you would raise up burning revivalists from this house. I pray that you would stir up catalysts, young and old, from the youngest to the oldest, God, even in our kids, catalysts that are carrying the dunamis fire of the Holy Spirit, that in every sphere of influence would be a demonstration of the love, mercy, and grace of God. Forgiveness is not an action, it's our way of life. Mercy is our way of life. Grace is our way of life. We live in the finished work of Jesus. We have no right to see anything other but Him. And so God, I thank You. Make us a people of the cross. Make us a people of Your presence. Make us a people of the resurrection life of Jesus. Holy Spirit, build Your church. I pray that, Lord, You will build Your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Do it in 24-7. Do it in our city. Do it in South Africa and do it in the nations. We bless You this morning. We exalt You and we worship You. We worship You, Jesus. There's no one like You. There is only one. Holy Holy, holy, Holy Spirit, would the presence of Jesus fill this house and the aroma, the, the fragrance of Christ fill our lives. That as we go from this place this morning, that we carry who you are. We carry your presence, Lord. And I just have this wild sense in my heart. It's like the Lord saying, Things are about to get really wild in this house. Like God's going to do something so raw and so beautiful and so powerful in this house. And he's saying, keep your eyes fixed on me because that's how you walk in it. That's how you walk in it. And what God's going to do, I want to prophesy this over 24-7 this morning. What God is going to do in this house, no man or woman will take any credit. It is the glory of God. 
It is a people given to him, yielded to his presence, and he's going to fill it. And I feel the Lord saying, if you will collectively as a family, if you will position your hearts and say yes to me, my promise to you is power and presence. I believe it with all my heart. The Lord is saying, my promise to this house is power and presence. Come low, come slow, come in humility. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to be right. Just receive him. And I believe the Lord is saying, I have marked this house. I've set this house apart for encounters, for the glory of the Lord, and to carry the beauty and the message of Jesus, the power of the gospel to our city and to the ends of the earth. Jesus, I pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in, in 24-7 in Johannesburg, in South Africa, and to the ends of the earth, in Jesus' name. We receive you, Holy Spirit, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage us. I really, I, I, I feel the Holy Spirit, um, and I, I, we've gone long, so I want to release everybody, but I just want to say this to you. The church is about to become the most dangerous force on the planet. No, I mean this in the best way. Like, I'm, not, I'm not saying dangerous in a negative way. I'm saying dangerous in that if we'll say yes to this thing, like the glory of God is, it changes nations. It can save cities in a day. We look at Paul. It's one man carrying the glory of God, so much so that when he traveled into a city, they said, those that are turning the world upside down, they've come here. It's fierce. It's powerful. It's wild. It's the dream of heaven. And I'm saying to you this morning, grab a hold of this. If you'll say yes to this with me and me with you and together, we'll say yes to this. We're about to see God do something that will blow our minds where we will just be face down saying, Jesus, do whatever you want to do. We follow you. And like the Moravians, I love how they said it. They said, our lamb has conquered. We'll follow him. That's it. So let's just follow Jesus together. It's going to be a beautiful year and beyond that. But I just want you to know we're actively praying for you. We love you. Uh, we're trusting Jesus for an incredible year for this family and for every single one of you and what God's called you to do. And um, I'm really trusting that from today, you're going to a deeper experience of relationship with Jesus. Amen. Love you. Bless you. Have a beautiful day. Enjoy coffee and fellowship. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Bless you guys. Thank you.